Do you remember when COVID started and, you know, everyone was like, you can't handshake anymore? And I was really excited about that. You've watched the show The Office, right? Yes. I really was thinking that the Michael Scott bow was going to become the the new thing. And then the curtsies for the girls. Um, that's how you say it. I think that's kind of what you do, like something like mm-hmm. that, you know, like a, a weird... Uh, what do they call this one like a lunge type of a thing? It yeah. never it never came to fruition. I'm very disappointed um in in America for that. I think we had a really big opportunity to really showcase the bow. Um and I just want to know what your thoughts are on that, Tim. Because yeah, well, I guess it's a big drop in my life in, in, in my mind. I, I was I guess I don't I don't know. I'm with you. I'm I was surprised how fast the handshake came back. It was like like as soon as people could go go outside, uh However long ago that was, it, it took, I, and, and I think that, I don't know, I guess maybe old habits die hard. I don't know, but it just, uh, if there was any time I, to change culturally, that would have been the time. Didn't happen. Uh, do you, you do a lot more networking than me. Do, does everyone shake hands now or like that? Cause I feel like this, you know, whatever they call that, like the, yeah, the bump, fist bump. Yeah. The bump thing happened. Well, then people were doing this for a little bit. Right. I remember I was at, um, Array Digital's uh, State of Digital Marketing Address, and there was some guy there, you know, doing this, like, two days before, like, the world shut down. Like, that was always funny. I, I don't yeah. really elbow each other. Like, that's a that's a weird thing. Yeah, I was at uh, something today, and uh, there was handshaking. I was at something uh, yesterday. That was all handshaking. Um, I People did, are still I dirty. Did, I did do a... Uh, Really cool experience. I went to an Achievable Dream Academy uh, in Newport News. And uh, so one of the things that they do is that you every day, every morning, all of the students are welcomed by either the staff or uh, police and fire department or military. Um, but it was really, really cool. So, I mean, like everyone that goes through there, there was still the fist bump. And so, I don't know, 300 fist bumps later that... That cool. seems cleaner than the handshake. I probably yeah. have only done. I try to fist bump people instead of the handshake still. Now, granted, I am one of those that's disappointed in myself for not, you know, keeping the bow part of it. So you can blame me as the, um, you know, patient zero of um, not continuing the uh, Michael Scott um, bow. But I think we need to bring it back. Yeah, I think that, uh, and I guess I'm just the type of guy too that where it's like after the first handshake is 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 happened, then it's just like what the damage is done. So we'll just keep on shaking until you can uh, peel away and wash your hands. It's, it's all about germs, and that may, maybe has something to do with today's episode. Maybe I I don't know if those are all yeah the yeah. Same thing, well, you you inhale but... or uh, yeah. So if you inhale germs, you inhale. Uh, pollen get a, get allergies and we're gonna fix it hmm. and we're off and we're off I'll i never you kick i, I never yeah. i never i like i feel like i always just go hi because i'm like waiting for the screen to tell me there's always some sort of <laughs> lag like, so today pop? i heard about i heard about some rockets you know tim's probably wearing a spacex shirt and i just said not and we today. take off not to di- see God, it doesn't. I'm wearing the. Uh, <laughs> do you know? Do you know what the shirt is? This is. Maybe we can edit all this stuff out. But edit? No. This is exactly what we need. That. This is, is the hook. Okay, I believe that that is a microscopic view 
of a Dominion sugar cube <laughs> with a piece uh, with a little splatter of like that bourbon um, vanilla extract. Yeah, because you are getting into bourbon, Ooh. and that is uh, the look. Am I close? Not even, not even remotely. We've talked about it on the show that this is the T-shirt of the uh, the window of the cyber truck that shattered when they were doing their uh, the public. Very similar account. looking images. What is yeah. going on with that truck? I mean, <laughs> they look pretty rad. Um, I think uh, I think the founder got distracted. No, I think that uh, I mean it hits. Man, production's tough. I mean, there 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 is more and more uh, sightings out. And he he's, he walked the assembly line two days ago, I believe, at the time that we're recording this. So I also think, like that. generally speaking, he's just great at like telling a tale and getting people interested. And then he figures out, like Elon figures out the rest rest after the fact. Right. That's yeah. what I was gonna bring. That's what I was gonna bring. I mean, how many people pre-bought that item? Well, right now then, it's uh, yeah, this report of 1.5 million pre-orders for the Cybertruck. And what was that 100 bucks, thousand bucks, whatever? What, what was it? 100 bucks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's your like MVP. Now, granted, they actually built a truck, and I'm not, and and that's that's a difficult thing. But if you think about it, like that's a pretty like badass way to do something. It's like, hey, let's let's see if people want this. I mean, yeah. that's I think that's a perfect way of identifying if there's market demand, right? I think they could have just is... manipulated an old truck. A little bit. I mean, there's a that, who knows what that really was. You know, they'll say it's the Tesla truck, but I mean, they could have just taken a Ford F-150, manipulated it a little bit. You know, West Coast Customs came out of their uh, motorcycle garage and did the <laughs> truck. You know, I mean, who knows? That that's definitely possible, but it's impressive. Yeah, is that exactly what Nikola did? Yeah, and push it down the hill. Like they and, literally uh, had a fake truck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they like they're like, look at how fast our tr electric truck goes, and it was yeah. it happened to be rolling downhill. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, you know, you can probably get away with taking pre-orders with a fake demo. You probably can't uh, IPO on a fake demo. So, it just depends on who you're uh, who you're defrauding and if you can return the money. Uh, I mean, you brought up a really good point, Zach, which is like. How do you validate demand? Like, how do you make sure that people actually want what you're building? I mean, there's Dropbox started with a uh, wait list. Uh, Robinhood started with a wait list. Tesla apparently loves doing the wait list method. They get yeah, but there's a difference between a wait. But but there's a paid wait list, and the other two were wait, paid wait listers, or no? There's I a think difference on that. Like, it's like when you talk about customer discovery in that case, and it's like, hey, do you want to buy this? Of course, sure. And then actually buying it, those are two very different things. Because I would imagine of the 1.5 that Tim said, that's 10% of the people that wanted it. And 90% were like, yeah, that's cool. I would be, I'm one of those, you know, 90%. Yeah, that's cool. If it was here, I'd buy it, but I'm not going to put 100 bucks into that thing. There's a huge difference there. And it's like you're trying to really find those early adopter champions, but. Yeah. And, and you're like doing a filtering, right? You're saying, okay, who's going to put money in versus just signing up with their email. I think what Robinhood did uh, is they had the wait list, but they told you where you were on the wait list and then you could share a referral code. Right. Right. And then if people use your referral code, that would push you up the wait list. So here it's not asking for like monetary capital. It's asking for social capital. Are but you didn't willing they do to do that go... as well to get more 
storage as well with Dropbox. Like I think, yeah, yeah, Dropbox yeah, I think that's what, did something because mm-hmm. that's what I remember with them, not the waitlist. Yeah. Aspect. So so Dropbox did that. That's super common for referral programs for when you actually want to drive virality, right? But that's once you have something to actually give away. When you're like giving away, uh, when you're just testing validating market demand, you don't actually have storage to give away. Um, I think Venmo way back when they used to just say, Hey, everyone you sign up gets $5 and you get well, and, $5. And PayPal yeah. did the same thing. I think I PayPal was giving everyone like 10 bucks or something like that. <laughs> so back in the day. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Like if you're it, there, there's, there's excitement, but how do you turn the excitement into a commitment? And so you had to, you had to get something from the user, whether it's their social capital and their network or, just hard dollars. I think the dollars matter the most, right? Because that's what you see with 100%. Kickstarters. People put, people put money up front, and then you can develop the thing you want to develop. Though I think with some Kickstarters, they don't actually ever develop what they're supposed to develop, and that's probably not good. Eh. <laughs> Tough way to there start. Was a, there was a stat about that at one point. I, um, when I wrote my book, Anomaly, I, I kickstarted it because the way that it went was like, hey, like you're going to write this. And my publisher was like, we're not going to release it till this day. And I was like, well, I don't want to wait that long. I want to try and get some cash up front. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. You can do this. So I think we did like 8,500 bucks, something like that. It wasn't that much. But um, during that, I realized or, or was told us that I think 75% or around there, give or take a little bit, don't actually fulfill their commitments. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that sounds Which is, fraudulent. Or, or don't deliver to the extent <laughs> I've I've been a part of some of those where like I would give money and never got the thing, even if it was a T-shirt, like just didn't get it, like just never fulfilled. Oh. Um, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I think there's the risk in that. I think you're probably clicking a button in the T's and C's in there and like realizing that hey, maybe this is never going to work, and that's unfortunate. But I guess hopefully you weren't one of those five thousand dollar backers that was going for something. I mean, that would be. That would be wild. Yeah. yeah that's a, yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I, how, it makes me wonder how Kickstarter makes its money. I think what that really shows is They take like, a cut. A pretty big cut, yeah, too, be, if I recall. Before it's delivered, right? Not after. <laughs> um, I think what that really showcases is the value of being able to tell a story that gets people interested and excited, right? You can be literally literally curing cancer but if you can't tell it if you can't talk about it in a way that engages folks it's gonna be like it's just not gonna be exciting you're not gonna get traction um yeah it makes your job a lot harder you know i remember when we first started go ahead no i was gonna say and you have an interesting story i mean in in terms of like what it is that you're doing i mean especially in in this part of virginia uh this is as this is the time of year at the time of this recording, it is uh, April. And this is like when everything is yellow for, uh, <laughs> for a couple of weeks because the amount of pollen that is just covering yeah. everything. Absolutely. When we started, we used to say that we're sublingual immunotherapy online. And so that didn't really work because one, people didn't know what sublingual immunotherapy was. And two, they didn't know why it needed to be online. I wasn't like, when I was when I was talking about it, people didn't really understand what we were giving them or why it mattered. Now I lead with a very clear explanation, which is we're going to fix your allergies forever. Anything you breathe in, we can make it so you never have to worry about it again. And the way we do it is by giving you little bits of what you're allergic to. 
and training your immune system to ignore its allergy triggers. Right? Yeah. And like, so that sounds a little bit better. It's landed a lot better. <laughs> what, uh, what did it take for you to realize that? Or was, was it just question after question that you're like, man, we got to change this. Or what, did you go through a program and they're like, this needs to be changed. How did, how did you come to that conclusion? And, and did you fight changing that story? I think, you know, at the time when we, when we started, uh, it was my co-founder and I, right. And my co-founder is a doctor and I'm kind of the one who makes sure that people can access his medical practice as conveniently and easily as possible. Um, and so what we, we were in this accelerator known as Y Combinator and the partner was telling us that you need to be able to explain your concept in five seconds. And it needs to be something that a high schooler is going to understand. And, you know, high schoolers can be brilliant, but they just more than likely aren't going to know what sublingual immunotherapy is, which is totally fair. <laughs> um, and so just that as a challenge, I think it took us literally, you know, I dedicated an hour a day for probably two to three weeks at least really? just honing it over and over. It's probably gone like that that like how you talk about yourself should always be evolving because the people you're talking to are always changing and you're always learning, okay, what, what is resonating and what's not resonating? Because when I talk to folks, I don't want to, I don't want them to be confused, right? I don't, when I talk about what we do, I don't want them to think, huh, I'm not really sure what that means. I want so how, to are excited. you, I want them to talk to us. Are you documenting, are you documenting that? Like, like in real time? Cause I agree with you. Like that's something that you should be, looking at, you know, registering to yourself, writing down, documenting, tweaking, listening to their words, their vernacular. Like, do they speak in a different way? Like, you know, as silly as it is, you know, the, what does a fifth, you know, how does a fifth grader talk? You know, can you speak to them in that kind of language? If you're, if, if your product doesn't make sense for someone else, which is, you know, sometimes the general public, it's like, well, I, that, that word is too big for me. Right. Like you hear a lot of these like medical commercials and it's like, my wife was telling me about something last night. I was like, what, what's that word? Like, like why, why, why is it always that medical, uh, like companies, their, their names are always not, not the name of the, um, the thing that they're treating or whatever. It's like the drug is always something that's like 2,700 characters. Yeah. You can't pronounce it. Like I, I, I why not make it easy and just be like the drug that cures allergies. I know Wendley is nice, but like, it's it. Why, why are words so hard? Ugh. Yeah. Uh, I, Akash, I'm curious. Uh, how is it with your co-founder? So you said you have a co-founder who is a doctor. Duh, 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 how, how do they do? I mean, do they over complicate it or make it uh, or, or do you, are you the spokesperson? Oh, he's the spokesperson. If you go to our website, it's his face everywhere. He's all over yeah. our YouTube and our TikTok. He's the one. He, he's a doctor. He, try to he over, needs to be uh... the one that talks to our patients. Uh, what we have both learned, right? I have an engineering background. He has a medical background. Um, but everybody, right? I've learned this. Like, every, There's just a human tendency to over-explain and yeah. to not be very explicit and clear. Um, so it's just a function of practice. Zach said, like, you should be literally writing down. You should literally be almost studying how people are reacting to what you're right. saying, uh, what language they're, I mean, he's literally right. Um, 
I could probably go and dig out like, okay, this is what we tried talking about this week. This is the feedback that I got. This is the change that we're going to make, right? All right, let's drop immunotherapy. Um, I think like one very specific change we used to say was like we, um, you know, one very specific change was like, we literally tested, okay, do we want to talk about fixing people's bodies or fixing people's immune systems? Do people know what an immune system is? If I'm talking to a doctor, should I mention immunotherapy versus if I'm talking to a patient? What is most important to the person that's listening? Mm. Um, and eventually you reach that level of kind of sophistication. But at the end of the day, you know, if you probably just spend a few, like a one week doing this, you'll probably go from a very confused, you'll probably go from talking about your features to talking about the outcomes that you enable. And that will be a lot more interesting. And Zach, you kind of hit, hit on this, right? Like, why, why, are, why do drugs have weird words, weird names on, uh, on TV commercials? It's because, you know, they're not exactly selling to you. They just want you to go to your doctor and be like, hey, can you prescribe me that thing I saw on TV? <laughs> See, now it makes sense. They don't care about me. They care about the doctors. And the doctors will know all of that. So that's fine. I'll, I will never look at a uh, medical commercial the same and thank you for that. I appreciate that. I figured that out. And however many years I've been alive, it took me that long to figure that out. So thank you. So tell, tell us about who you are and what your background is. How'd you get started on the business? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. So I'm Akash. I'm a founder and CEO here at Windley, where we're fixing allergies for life. Uh, I got started in this because I have miserable allergies. And my co-founder is also my cousin. And he was doing this treatment in a physical practice out in Colorado. I was up here in New York City. I tried to get the treatment that he was doing, which was at home allergy drops, and I just couldn't find them. Uh, it's just not something that any doctor was willing to give me, um, even though this is something that if I'd been in Baltimore, I'd be able to get from Johns Hopkins. If I'd been in Atlanta, I'd be able to get from Emory. So it's something that was being used widely. It just wasn't being used by every doctor. Um, so, you know, I teamed up with my co-founder and said, well, how do we get this in my hands here in New York? We were able to make it happen. And then we started testing to see, hey, who else would want this? One thing led to another. We were accepted into Y Combinator, which let us launch nationally. And we've just been growing ever since. We've been, we've been helping patients ever since, which is the more important thing. Uh, you asked a question on, well, why aren't antihistamines just what people use? I think antihistamines have the, have the mind share of most people because that's like the ads that we are just blasted with over and over, right? You probably have a Claritin ad or a Flonase ad and you think um, when people actually experience allergy symptoms like congestion or something like that, they're just like, well, all I know how to do is buy an over-the-counter pill. But those are literally just masking the symptoms they kind of just cover it up and they don't do it very well. So most of our patients, they've tried that for years um, and they come to us because they say, yeah, you know, I used to take a daily antihistamine, but it doesn't get me back to 100%. It just kind of gets me to like 50% and I just stumble through the next few weeks. Literally, because um, you're drowsy and tired and uh, you're all jacked up. Do you take something like that, Tim? No, well, no, no, because I don't, uh, even the non-drowsy stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it just, it's, it's still, I, I just, yeah. It, it, I don't, I don't either. Never have. I, I luckily if not, I yeah. don't have that. I get, I get the fall allergies. I don't get the spring, but my son, yeah, spring is not his friend. My wife's, <laughs> my wife, it, 
and her family, I think, all get it uh, pretty bad. It's uh, when the yellow stuff's out. If it's yellow, I'm colorblind. Is it yellow? Like it's oh, yeah. it is yellow. It's well okay. So this is random, but we're going up the nose. So I figured it's it's appropriate. Um, I was watching something the other day, football, basketball, something like that, and I'd heard of smelling salts before. Um, and it just is. Have you have you guys done a lot of? Do you guys know what smelling salts are? It's basically taking a, a whiff of pneumonia, if I if I can pronounce that medical word correctly, and apparently it's supposed to wake you up from this aspect. And I thought it was crazy when I was doing a little bit more research into this. Apparently, people who get concussions will take that, sniff it, and apparently it's supposed to make them not feel as concussed Concuss. in like that, like not from a biological perspective or anything like that, but like going up into the nasal cavity, like is that how bad is that for for someone because you see just like a, a random football player take that on the sideline right. taking it like that you know just like that and i was always just like oh it's kind of like it's probably like coffee beans because you know like when you smell that to get the smell out of something else it's like oh it's probably something like that no this thing like completely kicks you up like is that bad for you or is I, it... so what it's probably doing and i believe the way they work is they increase they literally like open up your nose and they increase how much oxygen you're able to get into the body and generally speaking, oxygen is good for you. <laughs> um, specifically on if it's uh, putting ammonia into your system, I would say that, uh, especially if you're watching a professional sports game, if uh, no one's going to risk a contract <laughs> to hurt their like star player, so it's probably like a very safe treatment. Mm -hmm. I personally don't have a ton of experience with this. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious... Like from the, you're doing something that that no one else is doing. Yeah, you're you're focused on a cure versus uh, just a quick fix. lifetime lifetime value of a. Well, customer. here's the here's the wild thing. This is not new. You can get this if you go to an allergist, right? It's just no one has very few people realize that it's an option because very few people actually go through the hoops to get to an allergist. Mm. There's only 5,000 allergists in the U S um, and there's 85 million chronic allergy sufferers. So the numbers don't really add up. And then I don't know if you've tried to get a specialist referral recently, but the health system doesn't make it very easy, right? You've got to go to your GP. Your GP says, well, we're going to put you on prescription antihistamines. Okay, fine, whatever. Then you have to do a follow-up with the GP to figure out that actually you do need a specialist referral. And then a lot of allergists, sometimes it can take three to six months just to get in the door. That's just such a long time. People don't want to wait and go through that process. So what we've really done is taken something that was available but had a lot of gatekeepers and let people decide themselves this is something i want to do and let people just opt to it opt into it uh without kind of having to fight through the traditional healthcare system is that because of insurance um, like insurance basically is why the process is like that yeah my understanding <laughs> is like everything a lot of the negative stuff that happens in healthcare is because of broken of incorrect like bad incentives and a lot of times insurance is the one that's causing those incentives, right? Just, so yeah. like there are some health plan, like there are some insurance plans which let you go see a specialist directly. You don't have to jump through hoops to get to the specialist. But the insurance plans are like, well, we want to make sure that you actually have to see the specialist. Um, and so they send you to the general practitioner 
or the family medicine doctor first and then force you to get that. What we really found out, go ahead. I always think it's interesting, the GP aspect of this, because it's like, well, that person I really don't feel like knows, like specific, like I even asked them like a diet question, Tim, when I went there a year ago and I like, I was, I asked them something and she said, my doctor, my GP said something completely different than my dietitian. It was like so mind boggling because my dietitian was like, go eat this other food. And this chick was like, no, don't eat that. That's bad. This is why you're, you know, your other levels are like this. I'm just like, who are you supposed to trust? Like, they're not, they're yeah. like, they're not like. It's it's a wild thing where they're like, oh, you can be eating too much pasta, and someone's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't eat any pasta. It's just, it's don't eat rice, don't eat this. It's just get on the same page in some capacity. It's just like, I, I don't, I don't understand um, the whole medical thing. Is a little uh, over my head anyway. But have you had a, that said? Have you had a lot of headwinds uh, in this since you've started this business? I think actually what Zach just described, which is information that seems conflicting, not getting answers that make us confident, uh, feeling that the medical system is working against us instead of working for us. That's a very common feeling in the American populace today. Um, And we actually found out that it existed in allergies also because we went to the one place on the internet where people anonymously shout their health information into the world, Reddit, right? And we saw that people had allergy tests. They'd gone to see an allergist. They'd gone through this six-month process sometimes to get answers from a specialist. And they were still asking questions. Um, And that's how, you know, that's actually where we found our our first customers was answering those questions and saying, hey, if you actually want to talk to somebody, look, my co-founder is a doctor. He's available online. Why don't you just chat with him? And that's when we realized that, wait, there there was interest and there was a need. Um, mm-hmm. And then what we really, real, what, what further, came, what was very surprising to me is like, if someone is asking a question on Reddit, there's probably 10,000 people who actually have that question and haven't been able to find an answer. So when we started, instead of, uh, instead of just like a few, a few lines of text and pushing people into a visit, when we started uh, making short, like short videos where it's effectively like, I literally told my co-founder, hey, sit down, answer this like a patient was asking you this question, off you go. Um, And we just started publishing those videos. That's when we really saw like, wow, no one is learning this information out there. There's just not enough out there. Um, Our YouTube really like, really demonstrates that like, you know, sometimes the most random videos get thousands of views. Uh, Like oral allergy syndrome, which is something that happens if you eat fruit and then you feel like an itchiness in your mouth you know, people just aren't getting their answers. And so they end up going to, uh, you know, they Google it and they find us on YouTube and they're like, oh, wow, this is a real doctor. This feels good. Um, it, it, something that seems like maybe a breakthrough is, is over the last recent time, I, I, I would think that um, at-home kits seem to have be, become popular and trusted. At some point, that didn't, that wasn't a thing. I think a couple episodes ago, Tim was even bringing up timing. Maybe it was me, but how important timing is in a startup, how important it is in a business. At some point in the world, an at-home kit, people would not have trusted. Like, do you see that in this process, that this was the way to do it, to not go the normal way, to go more D to C? Like, 
because it just seems like because I remember that maybe the first one was with Nancy Geerden, Tim, when she was doing Genomind, which was an at home um, swab test. And I remember her saying something on the lines of like, these things are now like people are trusting this thing to do it on their own instead of having to go through the process that we've been talking about. It's right. just, so, so where is that in, in this whole thing of like, oh, people do trust this enough. It's OK. They're not going to screw it up. They can do it. I mean, you, you see it for people. Uh, there's a lawn company called Sunday that's like, oh, here's an at-home kit to, to do your lawn, to, to, to do the formula in your lawn, and they test your lawn. Like, it's crazy the amount of at-home kits that are out there now. People trust it where before they, they maybe weren't. Where, where is that in the, in the appetite of your business that, that people seem to, to be jumping onto? Well, at the end of the day, we're just a standard medical practice that's super convenient to work with. So if you have an existing test that you want to bring to us, we're happy to use that. What we really found out is people were coming to us and they were like, well, we need a test. And so it was a lot easier for us to just service that directly instead of sending them out to somebody else. The diagnostic for us is a diagnostic and we treat the patient. We don't treat the test, um, especially because for allergies, you know, it's a combination of your diagnostic and your allergy history that are both put together. They're both put together. Okay, so Mike's in the way. <laughs> uh, your diagnostic and your allergy history that are both put together to actually um, create your customized and personalized treatment plan, right? Um, like a diagnostic is never going to capture that six months out of the year, you're in Salt Lake City, but then the other six months out of the year, you're in LA. Or it's never going to capture that, oh, you're a student at UNC, but you live in Jersey, right? Uh, and so sometimes you're going to be at home. Sometimes you're going to be in North Carolina. These are things that you need a doctor to actually talk to you about. And so for us, the test is just a part of it. And we're really focused on building that trust, which you brought up earlier. Um, because healthcare especially is something you want to have a trusted partner in. I would say why these at-home kits have become so popular is one, the science has become a lot easier to replicate. Something that might have taken two, $3,000 to do 10 years ago is now able to be done for a fraction of the price. So bad results or results that we have to discard are not as damaging to, it's literally less costly. On the flip side, I think we live in an age where people want to know a lot more about what they're engaging with. Uh, because so much more information is available, right? So people want to know, well, why this test kit and what's it going to tell me? Whereas, you know, maybe two, three decades ago, there was a lot more trust and just blind faith in what the expert was telling you. How do you then take that to the next step? And because I agree with you, people want to dive deeper into what they're learning about what they're seeing, but who do you trust in that case? Right. I mean, there's that commercial that's like, Oh, you saw it on the internet. So it had to be true. Well, I mean, like, how do you trust Reddit in that case that, that you guys did? How, how, how do people that want to dig deeper, how do they verify, do their own due diligence to, to understand like, yo, this is, this is going to be valuable. This, this, I can trust this person. How do you, how do you get that? Yeah. I mean, building trust, I think trust is a function of consistency, right? And so if we are consistently saying to our patients, to our customers, to anyone who is thinking, hey, I want to start with Windley, it's about us delivering a consistent experience over and over and us staying true to the values that we say we have, which is convenience, access, and ease, 
right? So if you if you email into us, we're going to get you a response, even if you're not a customer, um, because that's just who we are, right? We're trying to be that doctor that you happen to know that lives on your street or is in your community that you can just kind of text for an answer. Um, we don't actually differentiate. <laughs> we don't have a system to differentiate if someone texting into us is a is a patient or not. Um, until we actually, until someone says, "Hey, no, you need to uh, look at my medical records," um, then that's because, like, we don't want to, we don't want to treat anyone differently. So that's one angle is like literally the direct engagements with us. The other angle is, again, this goes to us putting ourselves out there as often as possible. Yeah, maybe you hear about us in an ad, maybe you hear about us on a podcast, but you're like, I want to do my own research. You find us on YouTube, you find us on TikTok. And my dot, like my co-founder is literally giving allergy consults for free, man. Like it's the same stuff that you're going to hear. It's the same questions that literally the questions that he's answering on those platforms are the questions we've gotten from our patients last month. Mm. <laughs> wow. right? So we literally had someone be like, oh man, it's spring. Why am I so congested? Well, that's a great question. I'm sure other people have that question. Let's answer that. Um, and the last part is like eventually... This is something I'm working on right now. We want to actually put out a 90-day guarantee where, like, if you engage with us in good, good faith, if you try us out, we're confident you're going to see results. Uh, and we want to actually, just, like, we'll, we'll happily give you your money back um, for taking that chance with us. Because for me, I am very confident that, like, what we're doing is fundamentally changing the world for these people. And it's just building that trust. So, so there's, like, a lot of different things that you can do. Um, at the end of the day, it's just like being good at what you do for a long enough time um, so that people will say, you know what, that's actually, that's actually true. Um, the funniest is, actually, the funniest is I was talking to someone who took a chance on us two years ago. So he launched in January 2021. So he was with us from the very beginning. And he was like, yeah, I didn't tell anyone about you guys or that I was using y'all's treatment um, until this year. And I was like, well, why, why didn't you tell anybody? He was like, I wanted to make sure it was it was legitimate. And I was like, well, <laughs> you, you were with us a very long time. Like two years on this treatment is a long time to feel we're not legitimate. He's like, well, it seemed to be working. And then I realized it was then this allergy season, I forgot I had allergies and I adopted a new cat. And I realized, wait, these are things I wouldn't have been able to do before. <laughs> yeah. So that said, are, are, do you focus on just seasonal allergies or can you, uh, do you also do cat, seafood, uh, peanut? Yeah, we do anything you breathe that? in. So okay. that's pets, pollen, dust. Um, that's what the vast majority of people have. And that's where we're starting. Eventually, we'll move into peanut allergies and then into seafood allergies. But right now, what we're really seeing is, and what we're comfortable doing is the standard of care and what's expected by the medical system is if you're doing, a, if you're, if you're building, uh, if you're doing immunotherapy, for peanut allergies or seafood, it should be done in person under observation. Um, and so that is, you know, that's hard, hard to pull people to say, it's hard to say that, hey, you can do this at home when it has to be done in person. Maybe a few years from now where we decide actually in major metro areas, we're gonna actually send a doctor to your house and they're gonna observe you take this treatment. And then that's how we lean into our access and convenience and ease angle. Um, but that's you, not it right now. Do you have any allergies, Tim? I just just fall like hay fever uh, type of allergies. Okay, 
so I have a seafood allergy. Uh, well, iodine, which is shellfish. But up until recently, I hadn't eaten seafood. I had not eaten seafood for 19 years because I was so terrified. But I have had some tuna recently just to test it out, and I've been fine. Um, but I obviously can't. I'm not going back to, like, shrimp and crab because um, until Windley is, uh, becomes a, um, a seafood product, it's not not gonna try. Not not gonna not gonna do it. Not gonna we're not it. inventing anything new just yet. Right now, we're sticking to what's already been done in the healthcare system. You know, once we're large enough and once we're able to fund our own kind of pharmaceutical uh, research, that's when we're gonna come help you, Zach. Because <clears throat> because aren't you down? You're like down in. Are you in Hampton Roads? Mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta eat seafood in Hampton Roads, man. Look, like some people some people don't have <laughs> seafood allergies and still don't eat it. <laughs> well you can't help those people man there's no accounting for bad taste <laughs> i agree what uh it's like saying you're in baltimore and you're not gonna have crab cakes i understand i understand if it's because of a health reason i just mean like <laughs> um because of a taste anyway <laughs> so you grew up here like what it, just since we're on this little topic what is the um food of hampton roads like what's the 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 is, is that all you would say, Tim? Like, what's the food? Yeah, Hampton yeah, Roads like, yeah, like, like, like Buffalo uh, and, and wings and Philly Baltimore. And, yeah, what's what, what's Hampton Roads? Do we so, have any staple? Oh, uh, I mean, I grew up in Suffolk, and so for us, it was Suffolk peanuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's a food in Hampton Roads. I recently learned that Plaza Azteca has a you know the white sauce that you, we see all around. That that's what I say to everybody. That, like, that's now, from. That's yes. from Virginia Beach. Yeah, Virginia white sauce. Yeah. Is Plaza it's, Azteca just here? No. Yeah. It started in Virginia, but it's okay. all up and down the East Coast now. That's oh, a, they that's a that startup far? that we need to talk to. Yeah, man. They're, yeah, they're... I know. Uh, yeah, matter of fact, I know the, uh, the, the the son of the parents that started it. And uh, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to have him on the show. The Mexican white sauce. It all, it, it's It's got to be the answer. I mean, it's I mean, it just was so surprising. So this this is right. So I was in um, you know, I was in Hampton Roads, and then I went to Charlottesville, and Charlottesville had a plaza, and I was like, cool, you know, my favorite white sauce is here. Then I moved to California, and California is very proud about their Mexican food. And I was in the Bay Area, I was in San Francisco, and I couldn't find this sauce. So I went on my own personal journey to figure out like <laughs> what's in it. <laughs> um, Isn't it like mayonnaise know. and uh, I don't know what it is. I've actually have I no know. idea what it's based. But on. I, I know that the, when we have family that comes to town, they, that's or if we go to see family, then we have to either take them there or we bring some with us so that we can uh, they can indulge. But it's got to um, be. I mean, it's just. Let's see. I mean, and then the orange crush the other is, food. A, is a, another. Oh, uh, no, the orange crush is that is a a regional signature. Those are um, dangerous, dangerous. Uh, dangerous. I remember. And then we have Smithfield ham too. So you can tell I grew up in Suffolk because I know all the stuff that's (laughs) around that part of town, like Smithfield ham and peanuts. That's what I got. But I don't, but what's weird is that not that, that I consider this all one area, one city, but like the city folks in this area, like your Norfolk, Virginia beach people, like I don't think that they would say peanuts or um, the Smithfield ham. 
But if no, you think wouldn't. about it, I mean, Smithfield Ham was a Fortune 500 company. Doesn't get the the kind of um, um, love, if you will, that that they probably should from from the folks. Uh, it's it's very it's it's just. It's very odd that we have something that could be that big and promising, and it's not promoted the way that the Virginia white sauce is, if you will. So. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if our white sauce is that promoted either, man. <laughs> but maybe, lot, maybe this will be. People love the white sauce. Be... Well, there we go. I'm wrong. That's yeah. exciting. Very exciting too. I don't know. We're just we're just trying to better market this area. So that's a, a common question that we that we ask. Many, many guests. Probably the most common question. Do you think that there will be the Virginia white sauce at something in the water? Should they have a something in the water tub uh, of the Virginia Beach white sauce and have people like get dunked into it? Oh, my gosh. Plaza just needs to bottle it and get it into. Uh... You probably can't bottle that. Could you? I mean, I guess you could. Yeah. Uh, and, and what is it? Uh, oh, gosh, I'm blanking out on it now. But in Williamsburg, the, the cheese shop, they're. Uh, their sauce, they uh, they bottle that, and you can. That's hmm. that's for purchase as well, but um, I don't know. One one quick side note, you you did talk about like your the questions and the way that you guys market, and and I I actually have written about this a ton. I think I wrote it in, in my book, but it's like FAQing everything. So if someone if one person has a question, that means everyone has that same question. So don't just answer that question to the person that you see in person, but do it to everyone because that other people probably have that question too. Like that's very smart marketing. I like, I just think that more people need to do that and to be like, Oh, if this person thinks this, then all of my other clients, customers, prospects, prospects that look like that probably do as well. I should answer that. And because of that answer, I might be able to get them as a client, get them to trust me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so kudos to you guys for, for leveraging that and, and, and pushing that forward. Well, the other thing, too, yeah. as we're delivering kudos, and I don't mean to, to walk on top of you, but of all the what, – this is episode 155, I believe. This is the very first episode that someone actually gave us a link to a media kit with logos and information. It's just like you would – that's probably one of the most difficult things that it is is to track down logos and, and everything that you may need. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. And uh, founders should Do, understand. What is a media kit, Tim? Well, it's got, it has your logos. It has, uh, and I don't, I have to look further into what's in, in your media kit, but headshots, bios, uh, testimonials, some, just any helping, helping other people so they can help you. You know what I would say it is in maybe a crazier way? It's not screwing up the game of telephone, right? So all these people have all of this. Um, it's it's the it's the digital telephone game, right? Where all these people will be like, oh, I'm having this person on the show. I need to go find an image of them. Or, oh, let me go get their logo of this thing. So then they just Google, they find it, and then they actually get the wrong one. And then so you're, you're playing, or they don't like the image that the person is doing, or the copy that is being presented is the wrong copy because it's not the copy from the company. It's some, something from somewhere else, or it's not up to date, whatever. And so it's the media kit is that brand, that businesses, that person's, um, at that moment, everything that's going out in the correct manner so that it, it is being told, the narrative is being told the way they want to and not the wrong way. Because if you think about it, 
the game of telephone is a very interesting thing. If I was to tell Tim something, I was to tell you something, tell someone else something that by the time we get to the 20th person, you know, the one, all I said to you was I haven't been on Facebook this week. And it turns out that it says Zach is jumping in the ocean tomorrow. I, I mean, it, it's, it, but that it, it gets that ridiculous. And so, own that narrative and provide that information. It helps you. You want your, your, your brand to be known by other people. Make sure that what you're saying is the same thing over and over and over again. That consistency is important. And no one talks about that. And it's very important. Oh, you're absolutely right, Zach. Actually, you're also right, Tim. I think the reason I did it is because we've done it before. And well, nobody can introduce <laughs> like... yourself better than yourself. So why don't you make that introduction for them? Right. But like we put the media kit, we like put probably put the media kit together or something along those lines as like an FAQ for investors. And then it was as simple as like, well, what would if I'm going to if the if Tim and Zach are kind enough to have me on their show, how do I make their lives easier? And I think, you know, well, when we have when we interview people or if we talk to people, I want to be able to just like easily access oh their links or their headshot or their logo. So that's what I tried to put in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that sort of empathy, like that's what really drives us in this business. Cause that's like, we're like outside of the company and outside of all that, it's a business is like the people you work with and the relationships you have and like work shouldn't be hard. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, yeah, I know I'm with you. Cause there's nothing worse than like, Hey, Tim, can you help me promote this, uh, this event or whatever the case is? And I'm always happy to do that. And then like, uh, they'll email me a PDF or something. And it's just like, anyone that markets through PDF, it just. Xerox. Let <laughs> <laughs> me send you this fax similar. check your fax machine? Yeah. Hey, don't, I, make, I mean, don't make fun of fax yeah. machines, Zach. The the entire medical yeah, it's exactly runs my on point. fax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but or, um, or it's even worse. The opposite side of that is the people think that they can be successful with four words and it's just like you're not detailed enough like these these questions that are asked like tim, we we and we've said this before we have this form we ask people to fill it out it should be super easy i've done something before where i asked like five or five or ten questions about someone in their business like super super mediocre questions what do you do who do you think your customer is where do they hang out what is your financials stuff like that should be pretty easy to figure out. I mean, sometimes people are just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Or, or it's it's everyone. You know, everyone is my customer. It's like, yo, like, do you do you not understand this? Like, you everyone is not your customer. Like, that's unless you're Facebook, I guess, or Google. Then maybe it's everyone. But uh, what was side. the biggest what was the biggest thing that uh, that you learned from YC? From Y Combinator? Yeah, so Y Combinator is a startup accelerator. They let in people a lot of times with just an idea. Um, I think they're looking for people who have already kind of embodied the ethos of what makes a good founder or what they consider makes a good founder. And the reason I say that is because, uh, Zach, they've done that thing where they put everything online and it's kind of on the individual to kind of go and consume that information and get the answers that they need. Uh, for me, what we got from Y Combinator is one, a gigantic community of other people who are all taking the same risk that I was, which is in the middle of a global pandemic, giving up our health insurance to go full time on an idea out of nothing. 
and committing to within three to four months, finding some traction, finding some customers, helping people and putting something out into the world. I think that's the most valuable thing. Uh, and I, you know, I built like there's follow on community that came from that. I'm a pimpy here in New York City. Uh, at the time, there wasn't like really a community of founders in New York City that was very large. I literally started a WhatsApp chat and I was like, hey, I'm a, I, like, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm showing up. If anyone's interested, come through. We're up to like 500 people on that WhatsApp. So just finding other people who are, who are doing the same thing as you. That's super valuable. And is, then, is the, oh, go ahead. Uh, from a YC perspective in, in the 757, how, how many companies have gone through there? I can think of at least one. So Seven Cups, there were Seven Cups of Tea at the time, Glenn Moriarty. Um, any others? Or is it... Yeah, is Duncan it went through with Member Stack. Okay. I'm not too familiar with how many folks from Virginia Beach or Hampton Roads have gone through Y Combinator. I know a fair a fair bit have gone through from the University of Virginia and Charlottesville. Um, but I don't know if those folks were from Nova or they were from the rest of Virginia. Hmm. Uh, I think I think what Y Combinator really gave me is like I had the enthusiasm for building a company for for making this happen. And they kind of they were able to say this is the methodology you should follow of working hard and working fast. Don't make excuses. Just commit to shipping something, to completing something every single day and commit to testing something out and making something happen every single week. And that'll compound and you'll get good at it. And that'll be something that will differentiate you from other people. And then, so that's one thing. And then, you know, sometimes they'll just tell you that like, hey, if you think this is the right thing to do, you should go ahead and do it either prove it or disprove it to yourself quickly because from our experience and the people that we know, we think it's a bad idea. Now, that being said, just because someone else thinks it's a bad idea doesn't mean it's actually a bad idea. Um, as a founder, it's your job to exercise that discretion. Um, but they kind of fast forward the learnings. And then as a founder, it's your job to decide what learnings do you want to keep and what do you want to discard? Um, Is getting that information yeah. a difficult things to comprehend to, to grasp like, Oh, my baby's ugly. My baby sucks. My baby's whatever. Cause I, I think like a lot of people have ideas, right? And I actually, I feel like we're going through this Renaissance. I was thinking about that this morning, Tim, where it's like, okay, like in 2010, 2012, there was a big app thing where people were like, I'm going to get an app on the app store. And it was like uh, a lot, a ton of midlife crisis. People weren't buying cars. They were building apps, but they weren't, you know, they weren't savvy enough to do it. They had to have some sort of uh other other software engineers to build it so that you know they'd have a hundred grand get it built whatever but a lot of people had ideas a lot of double-sided marketplaces a lot of a lot of whatevers i feel like recently i i i have been seeing a lot more of that come back locally where I, maybe we had a a standstill or maybe i just i don't know it, it seems like some of that is coming back but i don't know that people actually are willing to really hear what i just said what you just said basically which is Emma, this is probably not the right path to go. You should probably tweak it a little bit. Like how, how is that as a founder to, to grasp? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of that. Don't want that. I, I think you can learn how to be an incredible artist. You can learn how to be a excellent musician, but it requires practice and it requires being able to tell yourself, this isn't good 
I need to improve. And at the same time, you need to be kind enough to yourself to say, I will get there and I'm able to do this. So for me, I think of it like nowadays, if I get some information that tells me I was wrong, or if we get some data back that says, actually, you need to adjust, or someone whose judgment I really respect is saying, hey, you'd be an idiot to go down that path. If I exercise my judgment and I say, you know what, I, like, I am wrong, I do need to change, then I don't take it personally because I just think of it as getting reps in, right? Um, you guys are on your 155th podcast, you said, compare your first one to number 50, to number 100, to number 150. You get better, right? And so in that same so. way, I'm sorry? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're able to do something 150 times without getting better, that's really impressive by itself um, and probably worth, worth digging into. <laughs> one could make the argument that I've gotten worse. And um, I think that's a fair assessment. And uh, I'm, I'm completely cool with that um, piece of data. And um, yeah, I mean. Well, as long as it's an intentional choice, as you, <laughs> like if you were trying to get better, and you got better, that's fine. If yeah. you're okay, we, if, you're, uh, if you're able to evaluate and say you got worse and you're, it's intentional, that's also okay. So I think yeah. to go back to this, like people following, falling in love with their idea, I think people do have a tendency of overcommit. It's like a, it's a, it's a beginner mistake to overcommit to the first one. Every successful founder has a backlog of things that worked or didn't work or were a thousand percent successful or like, you know, was a huge failure. And I think because of the way what we see on social media, what we see in the news makes it seems like everyone's first shot was a home run. Oh, God, Overnight that success. A, that was not a great sports metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's true. It's yeah, true. overnight success. Uh, we forget that the reality is not like that. The reality is late nights. The reality is probably three to four failed ideas. Um, the reality is you can get good at this if you practice and then you have to wait for luck and uh, you have to wait for luck to strike to really uh, accelerate you a thousand, like super, super fast. And, and, um, you, and you have to always be prepared for when that luck or that opportunity does present itself. That said, Zach, do you, do you we're 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 with a, a a TikTok famous person. I don't know if you knew that. I don't think I'm TikTok famous. Well, you you were you were you you had your your moment in the spotlight, uh, and and I thought it was a pretty cool story. If you do, you mind sharing that I, with us real quick? I'm not sure exactly. You're so when I think of TikTok fame, morning. I'm thinking about oh well, yes. in terms of morning yes. brew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, morning brew is this like. It started out as a newsletter, but now it's a media organization. And, uh, you know, the founder of Morning Brew, I, he, he was tweeting about, like, starting a Shark Tank competitor. And he's like, he literally just tweets out, you know what, I'm just going to do this. Uh, and he's like, if you're in Washington Square Park, come drop by, pitch your product. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in New York City, so this was like me kind of being positioned to take advantage of this. But I was like, do I take this chance? Is it really worth my time? And I was like, you know what? 
I'll just get some work done on the subway. So I took the subway up. It was like about a 45 minute subway ride because I'm down here in financial district. I found him. I pitched him all in all 10 minutes and it got, I think, 500,000 views. Um, and that really catapulted us. Um, it just got us in front of a lot more people. It showed people that this was a thing and it like we were doing well, but this was like a little fuel on the fire. I think we're still their best TikTok video ever. Um, that interview he did with me. So this, I must have done something right. This reminds me of a saying that I have. And it's raise your damn hand every time. You don't know where it's going to go. Yeah, I, like I, I ended up getting a TV show on ABC. I had it for four or five years. And it's because I raised my damn hand when an opportunity came up. Kind of just like you, just sitting there like, oh, okay, like uh, what should I do here? Should, should I stay at home and do nothing? Or should I raise my hand? And say, yo, I want to get into this thing. And that got a lot more eyeballs on me. Half a million eyeballs for you. You know, over the totality of the show, probably more than half a million eyeballs on, on me. And that was a huge win. These are huge wins. And so I, I think when we're thinking through process, it's like, yo, like, I just saw this thing. It's 40 minutes. I don't know how much that costs in a... In a in a, in a metro ride, but like, what's it going to do? Like, what else am I going to do? Respond to emails or have this opportunity? You never know where it's going to go. So raise your damn hand every time. It's a, it's a huge opportunity. Well, and it's, it's, yeah, it's about shooting your shot. That's yeah. right. I mean, you have to put the reps in, you have to, uh, you have to be ready. You have to be prepared so that when you, when the ball is passed to you, or in this case, the microphone was passed to you, you're able to, to make the shot. And so, uh, a lot of founders forget that that's that's what you got to do. How did you do in the yeah. pitch? Did you do a good job? Did you like like how yeah. how do you feel about it? I thought it was good. I didn't think it was going to go viral the way it went viral. Like I was expecting maybe three to five thousand views, but um, I mean five hundred thousand is great. <laughs> so I think what it really was is because we had oriented our whole company around speaking a language that. Uh, individuals understand like everyone understands and we had done a lot of reps ourselves right at that time my co-founder had made about a hundred videos that we'd put on youtube and gotten feedback on and if you go deep in our youtube archive you see like our very first videos are my co-founder on an iphone it's not super well lit um but that's still one of our best like it has like three thousand views it's one of our better videos uh whereas now you know we have a lot more production on it but we had just practiced speaking to people. And I was given the ability to speak to, and when I say people, yeah, you know, Zach, you've said not everyone is your customer. You're absolutely right. But I want everyone to be able to understand what I do. And I want them to relate to it. Um, so we kind of practiced that over and over. We'd gotten those reps in. And it, it actually goes back to what I said before. If I'd gone onto that show and said, hey, we do sublingual immunotherapy online, and this is a treatment that fixes allergies, it probably wouldn't have done as well as we can fix your allergies permanently. The, the misery you feel from pollen and pets and dust doesn't have to be your life. You know, those are two very different stories, even though the core content is the same. Um, and it just goes back to practice. It goes back to reps. Like, I, I strongly believe that people can get good you can get into the top 90% of literally anything if you practice enough at it. And if you practice, if you're willing to like be a student and say, I'm going to get better and I'm going to seek out opportunities to get better. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of that starts with spending the least amount of money as possible. 
I know that might sound crazy, but I think a lot of people think, oh, I need this tool. I need this, this thing to make me better. And it's like, hold on, like what, what can you do to get at that without spending a lot of money first to learn some of that other stuff? Like I think about Tim and his running, however many days it's been now, like 17 years straight, but think about those, those times when you were running 10 years ago, you probably didn't love running the same way that you do now. And, but you learned a lot from that process. Think about 10 years ago with what you're doing what were you doing 10 years ago? Let's think about that. 2023, 2013, you were just starting arc for, if I can think about that. Right. And like learning from that, you know, into the process, like it, it's, it, it, all of that is a very interesting uh, roadmap to, to get to where you are. I look back, reflect on it, like fall in love with that thing. And then you can become a top 10% or a top 5% or anything, but starting small without spending a lot of money to, to, to be there. I think, uh, I bet the planes are flying over Tim's house right now. That would be my guess. That's what it is. Um, uh, I, I totally agree. I think, I also think people put barriers, like people overestimate how much effort it takes to just get started. Um, they, right? oh, like it takes too much to get started where it's, it can do, do it a lot less. Well, like with your, um, idea of like, oh, I have to invest money. Like, like, let's say we're talking about the videos we're making, right? If someone, I know people who, if I said, I want you to start a video initiative at your company, they would say, well, I need budget. I need to get the setup. I need to find the right platform. I need to make the right decisions. Nah, we all carry around some of the best cameras in the world in our pockets. Right. Just shoot with that. Um, well, the other thing that's interesting too, is that generally people that have, people that don't have any money have a lot of time. So when you have a lot of time, that's, you should be per perfecting and crafting the messaging that that does not cost anything to do that and then once you have the money then you don't have to worry about spending the time because you already have that crafted yeah and there's no better way like today is the best time to get in front of, like if you're in consumer if you're selling to individuals you should be making tiktoks and youtube shorts because there's no better way to get feedback on if your messaging is resonating or not resonating TikTok will tell you within three to four hours, YouTube shorts takes about five or six. Uh, YouTube shorts can take two to three days. And then Instagram reels can take, Instagram reels is harder. So it can also take like three to four days. Um, but the feedback loop on like, if your message is actually resonating, if people understand what you're doing, it's so fast. There's, there's never been another time. And it's completely free to post a TikTok. Um, and that's why if you like, if anyone's on TikTok, you, you know, if you go through people's, content you see them experimenting with different content styles because they're seeing okay what is getting us the eyeballs what is getting us the views and then if you're selling to businesses you like linkedin exists you should just be email like it's what 200 dollars for linkedin premium 20 like if you email 100 people that's two dollars to sit down in front of the right person to get the right, right. feedback what's holding you back <laughs> the interesting thing, uh, you know, the smartphone, I think it's probably fine as is, but if someone was like, oh, I need to invest a little bit, you can get like a, a, a decent $50 like Rode mic that extends into an iPhone or, or an Android. So you get there and then you can get one of those circle lights or, or another light, like the light kit I have, I think I paid 50 bucks for it. Just fine. Yeah. It's just I don't like, disagree with you, but like, like now you, you could introduce a lot more. I don't know. I think you just, I, I think if your goal is like, I want to make videos if you're shopping for stuff, you're not making videos, right? Like just make the video until, no, until no, you've I'm, made like 15 videos. I wouldn't even like, that's, that's how I approach a lot of stuff, which is just like start the actually probably goes down to run. I don't disagree with you, Zach. Um, 
you're absolutely right. Like if you want to invest a little bit, invest a little bit. But like for me, it sounds like someone saying, oh, I want to start running. So I have to buy running shoes. You can probably start running with like the crappy pair of sneakers you keep around the house. Um, you're going to hurt regardless those first few runs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Like, like it's going to be uncomfortable regardless. Uh, and is, your yeah. setup is not going to be, and this goes for video or running. <laughs> your setup is not going to be what makes you uncomfortable or not comfortable. Just getting better at it is what's going to make you comfortable. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think what's a lot of people like build barriers to themselves and then say like, Oh, well, I can't do this when your sure, job as someone trying to make a change in the world is to work around barriers. <laughs> What's something you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? If you have bad allergies, if you haven't been able to get treatment for your allergies for any reason, just email us. You can tweet me. You can LinkedIn me. I just want to hear from you because I want to know what's stopping you from getting the healthcare you deserve. Uh, we're going to be launching a, uh, insurance and uh our testing through insurance which should give us the cheapest insurance uh ins sorry which should give us the cheapest allergy test in the states um you know i want to make this treatment as easy and as as accessible as possible i don't think allergies need to exist and so like let's remove all the barriers for people talking to me you can email me directly you can uh, tweet me or linkedin me or whatever platform you choose you can contact us and I'll get you a response, especially if you mention the show. <laughs> yeah, we'll have all that information in the show notes, which were provided by the media kit that took 155 shows to receive. Thank you for that. <laughs> That's it. That's everything. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Is there it, like being a do you think you could do this now in moving back here or do you have to be in New York? I mean, oh, yeah, we didn't discuss why I'm in New York. I'm in New York because my wife's in New York, man. <laughs> so, no, you can't because you can't be with your wife. Got it. That's a, but, cliffhanger. Uh, That's a cliffhanger if you want to uh, just like. But I actually, I actually think there's no better time to actually like start a business now, than now because between like 10 years ago, you had to know how to write software. Nowadays, you can use these no code tools to create web forms, to create websites, and even like processes on the back end of, uh, you know, you can use this thing called Zapier to move data dif between different tools. So actually like launching a service or launching a product has been easier today than any other day. And people are used to working remote. People are used to just talking to people over Zoom. I think, yeah, you could probably do this in Virginia, um, in Virginia Beach, especially. Uh, all you would need is like a few other people who are doing it with you so that you don't feel alone. And I know that you guys have built an excellent community of founders um, in Virginia Beach. Brick by brick, founder by founder. We're getting there. That's how it goes. It really only takes like two or three, right? And then people like people like work together to support each other. Um, so it's not like you need a hundred folks, just two or three. Well said. Well, I wish you continued success. We will, uh, we'll have to check back in some, uh, I don't know, six, 12 months, find out how things are going, what you've learned uh, along the way since today, but, uh, appreciate everything that you've shared with the founders. There's a, a lot that, uh, that they can take away with. And, uh, and if you have allergies, you know where to go. 